The Soul of an Internet Machine, a podcast journaling the adventures of a business and a software development team figuring their way through the challenges of launching a new venture. We make the occasional good decision, spend time following bad ones, and get trapped by world events. Ping me, Christina Moore, on Twitter at Seymour underbar SP. That's Charlie Mike, C-M-O-O-R-E underbar SP, or at the website, ChristinaMoore.us. Echoes of a Lincoln Song. Listeners, I'm putting out this story for your enjoyment and dedicating it to two friends, Linda Copeland and Ginny Lemire. I wrote this piece upon request of my mother in 2003 before I moved back to my native New England and before I spent a year in Iraq, 2005-2006. It's about the town of Lincoln, Mass., the town of my youth. Lincoln sits between Lexington and Concord, famed for the battles of the 19th of April, 1775. The bloodiest fighting of that day's battle and the capture of Paul Revere both happened in Lincoln. My mother wanted a little story for a publication. She was working on Echoes of a Lincoln Song Ancient roads etched the landscape of the Harrington property. Stone walls bound, acres once planted. The ruins of a house rest quietly in the brambles. In the brief walk from my childhood home, through the marsh, over the well-worn esker, and down to these roads, I would seek treasures. Treasures included the rusted carcass of an automobile from the 1920s, springs, footprints of a raccoon, and pheasant tail feathers. One early discovery still brings awe. At the first ages of my education, I saw, I felt connected to the distant people of our history. Boundaries between then and now fade on these walks. Those names and words of history live. They breathe in these woods. They breathe still. Just as their boots, wagon wheels, tractors, and horseshoes compacted the roads I see below me, their ideas can be heard in the rustle of oak leaves, sniffed in the warm smell of decay, felt by fingers playing in the lichen growing on the granite at my thigh. Here, I became a swinger of birches, a neighbor to many over a good wall. I became the self-appointed steward to all that surrounds. I am not Longfellow, Frost Throw. I owned these thoughts. I say this not with hubris, not with a sense of property, but with an understanding of the mystery of thought. A thought, like an old sweater of a loved one or a baseball cap of a local team, can transform the wearer. Yet, I am free to say their words, to think their thoughts, to walk in their very steps. I can argue with Jefferson as Adams did. I can chuckle with old man Flint at the odd fellow Thoreau come once to speak of an experiment. I can hold the head of an injured farmer in my lap as his hand relaxes on the hunting musket, a musket taken in haste from the mantle as the English soldiers fled to Boston. I can hear the greetings of our militia shouted to the conquered militia when they met behind a stone wall, very like the one my hand touches. A thought can pass on action as genes pass on traits. I have come to understand that a thought is not a lonely entity, cold and set as sepulchral stone, not a votive note on a page making commentary of one who passed by. I am not the first to burst a puffball beneath my foot nor the first to break early ice on a muddy puddle. I am not the first to elect a path by its wear. Old thoughts haunt these now-treed fields, 
thoughts awaiting the next generation to live anew. History lives. At the youngest age, kings, barons, knights were the stuff of stories and the playthings upon our parlor floor. Soldiers were plastic forms. Science was the stuff of people who revealed truths. Presidents were distant gray men drawn in cross-hatched lines. Industry was far, far away. Yet on the school grounds were the heirs to the land granted by kings, the offspring of long-dead nobles. Schoolmates I now know to be the children of children of children of early presidents. The son of a former police chief told his father stories of a war in Europe. The son of a photographer told his father stories of a revolution in Chile. Another child told the stories of his flight from China during a war that is never mentioned in our school books. I heard stories from a family who viewed the stars through a radio telescope, measured the distances of space and the age of our universe. I met parents who were pioneers of technology. There was no first family amongst us, and certainly no stratification in our kickball games nor on the jungle gym. Stories of humble homes told with the bravado of eight-year-olds. Nothing more. Later, as I came to learn of the Great Depression, I see my rusted automobile with a new understanding. I tell myself it's a Model T. The story of this car is simple. I know that one of the people who touched that car in the 1920s was a child in the previous century. He drank local milk, harvested local eggs, picked peas from a nearby kitchen garden. As a youth, my unknown hero sat on the lap of an elder, listening to the stories of one who lived while Grant was president. Two hands bind two centuries. A thought is incapable of leaving a footprint, incapable of returning a rock to its niche. Yet, a single thought may cleave a nation. Like the conundrums of modern physics, a thought is an object without mass, a force that cannot be measured in its native form. A thought does not obey temporal rules. Thoughts may be given, received, and held captive. A thought can remain tied to the land, travel with generations, be visited with the soft smell or the feel of an acorn held on a fall afternoon. This acorn, a small treasure of warmth and texture, will shade another on this path in the next century. I cannot imagine what hand will touch that future oak. Across the pond to my right works a man who holds the deed to this soil, this rock, this acorn, this deed has been passed through generations beyond my counting. In these woods, walking along the path, I can live each age from the 1700s through today, from ox to tractor, from horse to car, from woodland to farmland, and back to woodland. Each of us who walk here, who borrow freely from the thoughts of those before us, leave something indelible. No one could have known that to my left, across the road from the ruin of this house, lays the very spot where my mother first showed me a lady slipper. In another season, another orchard will appear. Another will find it. Similar words of respect will be said. Another will see the path cradled peacefully in the wider colonial roadbed abandoned decades ago. I believe I leave these woods without a print. Resting again, I spy well above my head to a metal disc nailed to a tree. Too high for most to note, too rusty to contrast against a tree. I recognize a once new red marker that guided my nocturnal skiing adventures of 30 years ago. The pheasant may be gone, 
Future treasures unknown. Another child will come to this intersection and hide behind the rock wall. He or she will hold an imaginary musket and blast away at the evil tyranny that the English redcoats represented. Later, as steward, the welfare of squirrels will become paramount. A birch will be climbed, and that young birch will ease earthward with a youth's dangling toes inches above the ground, just as I did. Old thoughts woven from rock and branch, woven between the dewy moss of June to the crusty snows of February, invisible threads of an ancient web. One cannot escape the caress of frayed ends. Each touch transferring distant joys, fears, and hopes. A touch on a cheek where a tear will drop and a smile will break. A touch on a hand where a lost mitten will appear, only to fade again. The touch of the land. Author's Note, February 2021 On a weekend between snowstorms, I took my niece Rachel to walk these same woods. We paused at the spot where this story is envisioned. Serendipitously, we stopped, then talked to the current landowner. She was walking with her daughter and dog. During this year of lockdowns and pandemics, Rachel and I have endeavored to improve the trails on our patch of land that's 90 minutes away in southern Vermont an effort inspired by the walks and play of my childhood. I'm going to post another episode or so in this series, The Soul of an Internet Machine. Then I'm going to find a way to write more, maybe less about technology and business. I simply like storytelling. The Soul of an Internet Machine is a copyrighted production of Fire Media LLC 2020, all rights reserved. You can find me at my website, christinamore.us. Email is okay too, christina at christinamore.us. (music) 